Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture reading comes from Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. And thanks, Britt, for that bummer of a scripture. Uh, Zach, where is the magic? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I don't mean to make light of that scripture. It, when you preach from the lectionary like I do, and for those of you who may not yet know what that means, that is a sort of a, a schedule. It helps map out the Christian calendar, and then I am provided each week certain texts from which I will, I will preach, and they help me as I uh, sort of try to work through the biblical narrative. They help me to work through the biblical narrative. And you don't get a lot of lamentations. You don't get a whole lot, but we certainly have it today. Uh, and it kind of fits with the story that we've been telling. I've, I've been, been using the, the words of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, this book is a fitting following to the story that we were telling as we told the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was prophesying to the people in Jerusalem and to Judah and was saying, hey, we have wandered away. We have wandered away from, from God's calling. And in wandering away from God's calling, we have wandered into trouble. And now we're going to pay very dear consequences for it. And certainly they did. The exile, this would be the second time that the people of God were conquered and exiled, ripped out of their homes, most of them at least. The book of Lamentations follows that ugly chapter in Israel's history, in our history. The book of Lamentations is exactly what you would think it is by listening to the title. It is a book, five chapters worth of lament. It, let, me, let me put it in a, in a little simpler form. It is a book of great sadness. And sadness is not always welcome in churches where the people of God gather. Sadness is not always welcome. And where sadness is not welcome, you have something less than the full story of God and the people of God. Thank you to those of you who filled in for Tamara today. Uh, she is out, uh, Hazel is singing at, a, at, a, at some, at a, I think it's a, a competition or a recital, I think that's the word, right, a recital, in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, and so that's where Tamara is. And I need to tell you, thank you, sir. Oh, okay. Um, I need to tell you while she's not here. And don't tell her I said it. I really like her as a worship leader. I really do. And, and, and it's not just that she can, she can sing really, but she can. I mean, I, I would buy her albums. Do we even still buy albums? Or is that a thing? I would Spotify her music if she was uh, very good. But it's not just that. 
It's that Tamara understands the need to lead us in our sadness. She, she understands the importance of sharing her own, at times, very painful story with us. And to lead us, even, even in a liturgical moment, to lead us in worship, because it's still worship, though we are singing a, a very sad song. I can't tell you how important that is. Otherwise, you might be left with the impression that there is faith and then there's real life. Because we all know that real life, there are moments and times when it is absolutely devastatingly difficult. And if faith is only going to be about the happy things where all the chords resolve, right? And all the tension resolves at the end of the 30 minutes or the end of the hour-long show. If that's what faith is, then faith has very little to say to us on our darkest days. A couple Sundays ago, I had the, the great privilege of, of preaching at a college church in Olathe. A friend of mine by the name of Mark Quanstrom is the pastor there. And the more I got to know about college church, the more I felt like it was sort of our doppelganger out there. They, they do a lot of things that we do, and, and we do a lot of things that they do. It's not really intentional. It's just that we're each trying to do as best we can to be, to be faithful. And they, too, recognize the value of lament. So much so that I met somebody who goes to church there, and as we walked off, it was, it was a great greeting and everything, and, and he said to me, like, well, she, here's why she comes to church here. She said to me, after a few weeks of being here, she says, I can come to church here because it's okay for me to be sad here. Well, of course it's okay for you to be sad here because God is still God when you're sad. And you need to know how it is that God seeks to come to your side in your moments of just sheer agony. It is not lost on me, and Britt has done a fantastic job uh, setting up a newcomer's reception, <laughs> which will be right in the, in the atrium following today. It's not lost on me that here we are, lots of new people, and here the pastor's gonna talk about sadness the whole time. But let me tell you why I'm gonna do it. It's because it's true. It's true that our God is God when you're in the happiest place in the world, and when you're in the saddest place in the world. Does everybody know where the happiest place in the world is? Anybody know? You might want to raise your hand. Yeah, you're right. It's this place. Yeah. <laughs> because there's so much that's going to be heavy uh, where this sermon is concerned, I, I brought you a gift, right? Now, this guy, not a huge fan of this guy, but what he's saying right here is super funny, as it has to do with the happiest place in the world. We made it to the happiest place on earth. It's 9 a.m. I got to schedule every minute of our day until 9 p.m. Pay attention and stay close. I just flew my family halfway across America to visit Disney and all my homeschool kids want to do is visit the Hall of Presidents. We need a map. $45 for bedazzled mouse ears, baby. You want these or you want to go to college? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's 9.30 in the morning. It's too early to get wet. We're not waiting an hour and a half for impressions of France, okay? Eat a baguette and lose a world war. That's my impression of France. Let's go to Space Mountain. 
No, I'm not gonna push him in a stroller, okay? He's four. No, that's not right. The Splash Mountain is this way. No, you cannot have goofy-shaped chicken nuggets. Sit down. Your mother brought ham sandwiches. Oh, for heaven's sakes, pick up your garbage and throw it away. This isn't Six Flags. Listen, Rebecca, she's not coming out today, okay? That dream to meet Elsa, you better let it go. Oh, you want to go to a small world all by yourself, huh? Well, it's gonna turn into a pretty big world when you come outside and can't find your parents. Oh, great. Now my wife wants a photo with Gaston. Perfect. Well, hurry up. Make believe your feet aren't sore. This is Disney. Use your imagination. See these locks right here, kids? That's what happens when you disobey your parents. You know what I want to ride? A park bench in the shade. One, two, three, four, five. Where's Mackenzie? My goodness, I got a fake a leg injury or something. I need one of those scooters. Honestly, how are there possibly so many strollers in here? We have been here for 10 hours. I mean, my love language is quality time, but not this much. A four hour wait for Toy Story? That line is to infinity and beyond. I feel like we're going the wrong direction. Well, is it air conditioned? If not, I don't want to go. Informacion? No, it's in Portuguese. No wonder this map doesn't make any sense. If you don't get back here by the count of three, I will spank you into Tomorrowland. The happiest place on earth. <laughs> this week, this is one of the happiest places on earth. I mean, we had a block party and there was the Cupid Shuffle right out there. I mean, I, as, a, as a youth pastor, I used to look for these moments when there was involuntary smiling and enjoyment of life. I, I, I used to just sort of live for those times and, and there was some of that Wednesday night. It was a happy place. If asked, where's the happiest place on earth on Wednesday night, it probably still is Disneyland, but we're probably in the top 10, right? It was also this week the saddest place on earth. I asked permission, just so you know. But Friday, it might have been the saddest place on earth. Brandon Kirkpatrick lost his brother this week. Um, it's 40. Heart attack. And his children were here, and his brother was here, and his parents were here. And it, does everybody recognize that it wasn't supposed to be that way? It was not supposed to be that way. And I, and I, was a first-hand witness and honored to be a first-hand witness at the kind of grief that it is so gripping and so deep that you don't know what to do with your hands. You don't, you don't know what to do with your body. It's, it's just so right here, it's hard to think about anything else. This may have been the saddest place on earth. And not to give away the end, of the sermon, but I would say this to you. It is crucially important that this place, this patch of ground, this campus be broad enough to encompass those moments that we might put into the category of happiest times, I can remember. But also, also, so crucially important that this also be a place where we can house your saddest moments as well. Does everybody understand why? Because if we can't house both of those experiences, then you may be left with the impression that Christianity can't house both of those experiences. And here's why that's super dangerous, because your saddest day is coming up. Mine too. 
And then what? Will we have been rehearsed again, and you've heard me pound this drum before, will we have been rehearsed in modern praise and worship, which does not seem very often, if ever, to have room for sadness? Will we have been rehearsed by modern praise and worship to believe that sadness must be evidence of our failure or God's failure? I mean, it hasn't been that long ago that I told you that in the listing of 150 of the most popular songs in praise and worship music, there was zero that had to do with sadness or lament, none. Does everybody know that real life contains sad days? (laughs) Are we trying to sing our way to a theology that says, oh no, God's only God, when all the chords resolve and everything's okay by the end of the 30 or 60 minute show? Or is it possible that we have wandered away from this deep truth that God is God even on our darkest days? Sometimes the pain is so bad that you can't yet You can't yet have the discussion about healing, whatever that might mean. And sometimes the pain is so bad that you don't actually all the way heal. Sometimes you just learn to walk with a limp. Judah here, especially here, Jerusalem, is always now going to walk with this limp. And the book of Lamentations is sort of evidence of that. The book of Lamentations, five chapters worth of anguish but anguish designed for these moments, moments of worship. Five chapters. Now, who wrote it? Now, it may be that in your Bible, the, book, the name of the book is The Lamentations of Jeremiah. We don't actually think that Jeremiah wrote this. We think this was written by the people who were left behind. <laughs> kind of the worship leaders, the songwriters who were left behind after everybody else was taken off into exile. We kind of think that it was these worship leaders who said, we must figure out a way to facilitate our people's theology even against the backdrop of exile and destruction. This is an incredible piece of art, the book of Lamentations, five chapters. Each chapter a poem, in fact, each chapter an acrostic. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. In chapters one and two and four and five, each successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet begins the next verse, make sense? Now in chapter three, there are 66 verses. It's because each, there are like, instead of 22 verses, you have 66 because each letter gets three verses. It is meant to be understood and experienced as the art of the people of God who experience tragedy, the unthinkable pain. There are a couple of voices that you will hear in these poems, and we're not, gonna, we're not gonna read too much of it today. One of the voices that you'll hear is the poet, sort of the narrator, herself or himself. The other voice you will hear is a personified voice of the city of Jerusalem, a princess, a daughter. She is, she is cast as forsaken. She is cast as the victim of self-inflicted wounds. (laughs) She is cast as lonely 
and frightened. In other words, I think she perhaps in her, in her poetic voice here is chronically normal. Chronically normal. Do you know it's normal for you to have terrible days? <laughs> Do you know it's not an affront to God when you are sad? It's not an affront to God when you are frightened in despair. It's not an affront to God if you are depressed. I said it a few weeks ago, let me say it again. Depression is not necessarily the evidence of sin in your life. It may be that you're just depressed. It may be that you have experienced some things that come with the kit of life, and those things are so awful and so terrible that they just leave you in a place that can be described by no other term other than depression. And in those moments, we believe that the rescue of God may come in the form of a therapist, maybe medication. It all fits within the reach of God. Now, Disney might be the happiest place on earth, but can we be clear about something? They traffic in fiction. <laughs> and it's not that the stories aren't good. And, in fact, sometimes the stories contain truths worthy of our attention and our memory. And I'm looking straight at you, Lion King, right? But those good stories seem to end well, at least nearly always. The chords do resolve. The tension resolves. And the good guys almost always come out on top because it's Disney. But in real life, real tragedy happens. Real pain, the kind of pain that takes your breath away, that reshapes and reshuffles your entire life. Maybe it reshapes and reshuffles many different lives. The kind of pain that makes you wonder, makes you wonder if God is good, if God is paying attention, and if God is real. And I gotta tell you something. We just sort of outlined the book of Lamentations. It's all canonized in the book of Lamentations. It's not the only book, but that's the one that's in focus today. The book of Lamentations facilitates our asking of those same questions. Is God good? Sure, sure, says the princess. Yeah, I, I deserve some of this, but do I deserve this much of this? Is God out there? Maybe, and this is something that we remember from the book of Job, maybe I'm praying and screaming into the void. And the book of Lamentations, with great audacity, says, those questions are okay. But hear me say this as your pastor. Those kinds of real life human reactions to the real life tragedies in life, those kinds of questions and those kinds of reactions, they absolutely have a place within this sanctuary and the messaging of the people of God. Even has a place in scripture. (laughs) 
So as we are being honest, let's continue to be honest. It is the point sometimes that we do cause our own catastrophes. It happens. I've seen it. You've seen it. Judah was warned time and again, time and again, you must remember to remember what it means to be the people of God. You must stay with God and stick with the covenant. You must care for the poor. You must care for the widow, the orphan, for one another. You must be the embodiment, the very image of God for the world that you were called and created to be. And if you don't or you won't, there will be consequences. And they understood, Jeremiah understood, that the Babylonians were those embodied consequences. But the book of Lamentations is not just asking that question, what does it look like to self-inflict our wounds? It's asking a larger question, what do we do with pain as the people of God? What do we do with God when there is pain? How does it fit in the experience of life and faith? And what does it look look like to go on from here? The people of God, by and large, have forgotten how to lament, and so have left out some of the richest resources we have that are meant to help us believe and survive. That's why I so appreciate it when Tamar can not just paint a happy smile on everything and sing really well, but when she can write a song like The Other Shoe. You remember that one? and make it available to all of us. I'm going to now march you through some verses that are gonna be kinda hard to take, but they will be hard to take because we are so not used to this kind of language in church. We prefer Disney to real life. How lonely sits the city, is the narrator speaking that once was full of people, how like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. As I keep reading, Judah has gone into exile With suffering and hard servitude, she lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. John, that's the beginning of the book. Everybody knows that the the biblical books all end well, right? Okay, here's the end of the book. You ready? Chapter five, verse 20. God, why have you forgotten us completely? This is the end of the book. Why have you forsaken us these many days? Verse 21. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Verse 22, the last verse of the book. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Seen. What? That core did not resolve. It's almost as if in keeping these verses in Scripture, in canonizing these verses for us in 2022, it's almost as if we are being granted the permission to pray the same prayer, to ask the same question. God, 
Why? Why? And if we are surprised to see such real and raw humanity in our text, is it because we have wandered so far from this truth because we have tried to do the hard work of pop psychology in here where everybody's shoulders gets rubbed and everything works out in the end and if you have this terrible disease, don't worry about it. God's got this. And friends, I do believe that God's got this. I do believe that God is present and moving and acting. I also know that folks die. And these are the real reactions of real people and God welcomes them. Can I show you some other verses? This is another Psalm that I was handed. It might have been a preaching text today and it's way worse than we've already read. Psalm 137 is written, we believe by someone or several someones who are in exile and are being ridiculed being ridiculed by their captors. Psalm 137, verse one. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion or Jerusalem. On the willows there we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Sing for me, they said. And our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion, of your home city. But how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And friends, it gets way dark after this. Everybody, everybody ready for this? Are you strapped in? I'm glad we have our junior leaders out of town, okay, for this. Oh, daughter Babylon, you devastator. <laughs> Happy shall they be who pay you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. What? How does this make the cut and stay in the biblical narrative? <laughs> Dr. Tashton, we should have voted this one out a long time ago because this one sounds like chronically normal people, humans. We're so angry at their enemies and their opposites, their captors, their oppressors, that they wish on them the worst imaginable pain. How does this stay in scripture? Is it possible that the life of faith is just broad enough and sturdy enough to make room for our human reactions to oppression, to captivity? Have we kept this song in our ancient hymnal because God knows if we can somehow finally just say it, then maybe we won't do it. And maybe our saying it in our anguish and in our anxiety, in our despair, in our depression, maybe there's something good about saying it and not just saying it out loud, but saying it to a giant God that can take it and absorb it. Or I guess the question I need to ask you is, how big is your God? 
If your God is not big enough to handle your honest questions, then your God is not big enough. Because God seems to insist that we ask these questions of God. What God wants is an authentic, transparent, honest faith that allows for this kind of candor. Lament is absolutely a moment of deep faith. Deep faith, the practice of our faith is cheapened and diminished if and when we leave this part out. I'm just trying to be respectful. Yeah, but I think God would prefer you be honest. Hear the words of Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, where lament is absent. Covenant comes into being only as a celebration of joy and well-being. Or in political categories, the greater party, God, is surrounded by subjects, us, who are always yes men and yes women, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. Since such a celebrative consenting silence does not square with reality, covenant minus lament is finally a practice of denial, cover up, pretense. I mean, guys, what if God wants you to be honest with him? Here's another way to say it. A guy by the name of H. Gray Southern says it like this. This is the greatest good news of this Lamentations text, is that it points the hurting preacher and God's agonized people to a God who suffers with us and still attends us. Ours is not the God of the quick fix, who comes with an explanation of why bad things happen. Our God is the one who is beyond our understanding, yet who stands with us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Oh my goodness. If you were to think of the entire book of Lamentations as a desert, <laughs> a desert of grief, I'm happy to report that there are, there is, at least one oasis. In Lamentations chapter three, it says this. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. See if this sounds familiar. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, right? This is where that song came from. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. Verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you know that the song, some songs I think are, are best left in the old King James, right? I just, I, this is one of them. Great is thy faithfulness, it sounds right. But did you know that that song that has for generations been a source of help and healing and comfort, did you know it came from this desert of grief known as the Book of Lamentations? We're at an important moment, I think, and not just for OKC First, I do believe that, but I think for the larger church, capital C, I think we're at an important moment. 
it seems that we are determining who we're going to be for the next couple of generations. And while there are some good signs, there are also some troubling signs. In the category of troubling signs, I would say the inability of the people of God to be honest in their faith and the refusal to accept that faith includes the experience of tragedy, loss, despair, and depression, that is a bad sign. But it doesn't have to be that way. Here was the most succinct way I found it this week. Brene Brown says, I came to church thinking that faith would be like an epidural. <laughs> Something that would take all my pain away, but I found out that faith is more like a midwife. A nurturing partner who leans into the pain with me. Because what are we going to say to those kids who lost their dad yesterday, Friday? I sat there and watched as the kids and the family draped themselves over the open casket. And the 12-year-old, in between kissing dad on the forehead and wailing, was asking why. Why? Why? <laughs> if given a chance, I'm going to say to Connor, God is plenty big enough for your why. While we're here, how about if I say to you, God is plenty big enough for your why. After all, <laughs> each week we gather around at a table to remember and to celebrate a story that was very painful. And we communicate that it was painful in the very symbols themselves. It's not just bread and cup, right? It is broken body and shed blood. Can I tell you that around that story, way back when, you could have used words like terror, horror, despair, hopelessness, sadness, depression, anxiety, I think one of the things that I like most about this moment of communion is that it, it's clear indication to me that all of those words, sadness and despair, anxiety, hopelessness, those are not foreign to God. Those are not foreign to the Jesus who, while on the cross, seems to have borrowed a line from the book of Lamentations and from Psalm 22 when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means that God is big enough for you to ask the same question. What a day for a newcomer's luncheon, amen.
This God isn't and never has been above or beyond your sadness. But this is the God who sits with us in our sadness, who grieves along with us, consoling, understanding, and perhaps even in some way and at some level, perhaps even healing us. So what we do around this table is important. And it fits not only with the scriptures that tell the story of resurrection, but it also fits with the scriptures that tell the story of sadness and ache and anxiety. And that's why all of us are welcome. So if you were helping us today, please come and set this table. And Heavenly Father, as these folks come, We need a couple of things today, Lord. We need to be reminded that you are in fact big and strong enough for the wise that we would have. Big and strong enough for Connor, who's going to ask why for some time. Big and strong enough for others in the room who have their own hurts and horrors. People who drag something into the room that was so heavy that they could not bring themselves to sing. We need from you now, God, this deep sense that even then, and even for them, their questions are welcome. Their agony is welcome. You all are invited to take part in this meal today. You're all invited. None are compelled, but everybody is invited. If you just soon set this one out, that's okay. But you all are invited. Everyone who understands his or her need of grace is absolutely invited to come and take part with us today. We take communion around here by intention, which means that in a second, I'll ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to your left, and come forward to receive these gifts of broken body and shed blood. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, someone will take a piece of bread and put it into your open hands. Please have your hands open and ready. And will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't forget in the tenderness of the moment that this is still a story that would have included some sense of terror for the people in its original telling. Take that piece of bread and then dip it into the cup. The person standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, right here will be Ken who will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Again, please don't forget the pain and the anxiety that must have been a part of the original story. And then, I hope you'll find a place to pray. Now, we have forgotten where the altars are up front. The pandemic has caused us to forget where the altars are. But man, that's a good place to pray, a prayer of sadness. And I would invite you to test me on this to determine whether or not God is big enough for your why, for your sadness, for your anxiety. And you don't have to do it here, but if you do, what you'll see is that you're not alone. 
If you go to one of these side altars, perhaps you need a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there or over here to pray that prayer for healing with you. We won't ask necessarily what the whole story is, but we will tell you that there is healing available to you by the God who knows what ache and pain and despair is like. You may wanna make a special trip up here to dip your fingers into this water. These, these waters are meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism, when you were initiated into the people of God, who understand that faith is a whole life thing, the breadth of life is all included in the experience of faith, that's who we are. If you prefer to use prepackaged elements to not come down front, that's okay too. And the folks who will dismiss you by row will have little plates of prepackaged elements. Just sort of take one as they're offered to you and you can take and eat as soon as you get them. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way he would take the cup hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now shed for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. Remember that this God knows what it is to ache, to bleed, to lose hope, to be in despair. Remember, remember this God is coming to you and for you. Mark is playing, great is thy faithfulness. It's okay if you hum that along. It's okay if you hum along as you come. Seems right. Now all across the sanctuary, if you will, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
offer, offer a few words of a prayer of confession for turning it over to Jason. There will still be a place for you at the altar if you want to come and pray and offer up your sadness like a gift. There's room for it. In every sense, there's room for it. So Heavenly Father, hear us as we confess that we all have this temptation. We all face the awful tendency to narrate faith in ways that don't necessarily reflect real life. And, and maybe at the base of that, there is this deep sense that maybe, maybe faith isn't comfortable with real life. Maybe faith isn't effective on our deepest and darkest and saddest days. So forgive us, God, because we know if and when that's the case, that we have opted out of some of your best for us. We have opted out of grace that can in fact make a way. And now as I get out of the way, I would ask you to pray that prayer. God, have I constructed a household of faith that doesn't make room for agony and sadness. Almighty God, have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Would you continue in this season of prayer with me as we spend some time in intercession for those who need a strong sense that God is with them? And let's just start there with all who've experienced loss. That can be you from recent moments to years ago. My prayer is that you have heard a message today that God is with you in your loss. And so God, we do ask for your loving comfort, Brandon and his family who've gathered in this space this morning, but also for all who loved Travis Kirkpatrick and all who've experienced loss in this room, who have grieved in these moments hearing these words, God, it is my prayer that you would, by your spirit, bring comfort and sit with us in the pain of loss and grief. God, we ask that from this day and the next day and the day after that, that as we sit and rest in our grief, that we would know that you are with us and you grieve alongside us. God, we ask for a few people who need a continued healing touch from you. Pray for our good friend, Lee Nichols, as he recovers from knee replacement surgery. God, be with Lee and Linda. May God, you just surround him in your love and your healing. God, we pray for the couple people who've just had a hard week. Laura Hardy had a hard week this week. God, we ask that you 
would just walk with her and embrace her in your love and your kindness. My friend Matthew Larson. <laughs> Matthew, you just texted me. I see you on the TV. <laughs> texted me earlier today. Would you pray for me? And so aloud, Matthew, we pray that God would give you a strong sense that he is with you and for you, that God has your future in his hands. And we ask God that you would take care of Matthew, bring him health, strength, healing, and freedom. God, we ask that you would bring alongside your healing and your presence with our friends, Linda Weaver, Scott Peterson, Diane Dawkins. God, we ask that you be with all on mission, including our junior leaders on their way back right now from this incredible retreat. God, with the, what you've done in the lives of our fourth and fifth graders, would you just solidify as they've discovered their strengths and worked through that and learned about the Trinity and been together with such a wonderful family of faith. God, we ask that you would just allow them to have these incredible memories. God, and I pray for Henley's heart that she didn't get to go on that these last couple days, that you would allow her to have great friends as they come back and share these memories with her. God, we also pray those on mission, our friends in Zambia, and our Zambia leader, Debbie McCulloch, who continues to do great mission on the border. God, would you be with all who are on a mission, including the congregations that make up OKC First Church throughout our weekend, including Pastor Daniel Moreira and the Hispanic congregation that is a ministry of OKC First. God, as we move towards this prayer, the Lord's Prayer that you taught us to pray, we pray each week, God, for those who are disappointed, discouraged, disoriented, incarcerated, that your loving presence would come alongside them where you need them, where they need you the most. And let's pray together this prayer that should be on the screens in front of you, whether you're here or watching at home online. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.